Uh, we're doing our rushing around. I'm doing the rushing around this morning, our three services. Um, I think we're li- are we live streaming this one this morning now. Hello. <laughs> uh, we are filling up very quickly our three services, and so we have started chatting about whether we need to start a fourth one, which will be fun. Um, so we'll keep you posted on that and where we get to now deliberations about that. But great that, that uh, you're here. And if you are at home watching this and you wanted to be here in person but couldn't be- book in, I'm sorry about that. But hopefully you will be able to another week. Right, we're in our series called Why Bother? We're looking at basics of the Christian belief. And this morning's theme is about why bother to give. If you're here for the first time, you might think, oh man, I've turned up and they're talking about giving. That's just what I expected of Christians. Um, (laughs) Sorry about that. But uh, uh, it's, it's often said you should never talk about sex, politics, or religion. Well, we always talk about religion when we're together. I mean, obs. And um, Christianity is always political because Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We have a king who threatens all other kingdoms. And so that means that Christianity is always political. And we talk about sex a lot as well because sex is so crazy in our society. We have to talk about it to try and help people to see how to understand sex and to live in a way which is actually good and godly rather than the crazy world out way our world operates most of the time. So we talk about sex, politics, and religion a lot. Money, I think, is actually a more difficult thing to talk about than any of those three. And at this time, there are, of course, so many anxieties around money. I mean, who knows what is going to happen with the economy over the coming months and years. Uh, What we do know is it's probably not going to be good. And so... It might be that personally we're feeling anxious at this time. What is going to happen in terms of my income, my job? What are the implications going to be for me? It might be that we're worrying about the national economy and what's going to happen generally to our society with all the huge financial pressures. It might be that we have a a wider view. This past week, somebody from the World Health Organization was talking about how they're expecting global poverty to double next year, twice as many children to experience malnutrition next year because of the response to the pandemic. That is tragic and terrifying. And so we we might be very much kind of feeling these anxieties. The flip side of that is how extraordinarily generous the people of God often are, that uh, there are many charities who are reporting their incomes just crashing over the last few months. Uh, I know of charities, Christian charities in this area, who've seen the complete reverse of that, their income just ballooning over the last few months. And for us here at Gateway, one of the miracles of these past few months has been that actually our, our income as a church has increased during the corona season, which is completely crazy, but thank you, Lord, and well done, church. So we just, we as Christians, we do think about money differently. And to help us on this subject this morning, I want to particularly focus on what it, on materialism, what materialism is and the dangers of that. Now, years ago, Madonna sang, sang about being a material girl and uh, said it's, she was very proud about being a material girl. Probably most people would not want to say, would not admit, I'm a materialistic person. We, people know you're not meant to admit to that. But materialism is an issue. So let's have some definitions first. What is materialism? Money and possessions are pretty easy to define. Money is the stuff you've got in your pocket or the stuff that hopefully you've got in your bank accounts. It doesn't even exist most of the time, really, now. It's all just ones and zeros. And 
exists somewhere and you hope the system doesn't one day collapse and take us all down. Uh, and the possessions are the stuff, stuff here, shirts wearing on our, on our backs. This, this actually was John Clark's shirt until he lost so much weight he gave it to me. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is now my possession rather than his. Uh, so money and possessions are easy to define. Uh, materialism is a little bit more tricky to define. I came across this definition, I think is pretty good. Materialism is a tendency to consider material possessions and physical comfort as more important than spiritual values. Material possessions, physical comfort, the most important things in life. So money and possessions are in a sense neutral, they're just stuff. It's Materialism is the attitude, how we think about and approach money and stuff. A friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine, his father died recently, and his father was a wealthy man and was into collecting dinky toys, which doesn't mean much to me, but I know it's the kind of thing that some guys get really into collecting, and dinky toys can be very valuable, and this collection of dinky toys is apparently valued in tens, potentially hundreds of thousands of pounds. And... Um, my friend told me that the day after his dad died, there were family friends who were calling up his mother not to offer condolences about the death of his father, but to ask if they could be first in line for buying the dinky toys. That would ind indicate to me those problems have a problem with materialism. If collecting dinky toys is neither here nor there, if that's your thing, good on you. But to be so consumed <laughs> with possessing these things that you don't even acknowledge the fact that this man has died, that would indicate something of a problem. And money, possessions, and materialism actually are issues for all of us, and that's always been the case. Let's have a little bit of history. I want to introduce you to someone called Clement, Clement of Alexandria. Alexandria, a city on the Egyptian coast, still a very important city in the Arab world. Back in the Roman Empire, it was a majorly important city a place where people went to make money, get rich, and do life. And Clement was a Christian leader who lived there between the years 150 and 215. So this is really early in the history of the church. This is just a generation or so after the first apostles have, have died. And uh, it's a challenge for Clement to convince the people of Alexandria that Christianity makes sense. There was a contemporary philosopher called Celsus who said in the patriarchal sexist language of the day that Christianity was only fit for slaves, women, and children. No rational Roman man could possibly follow the teachings of Christ. And so Clement's challenge in a place like Alexandria was to show that, yes, Christianity does make sense. Even for Roman men, Christianity makes sense. But this is difficult because so many of the claims of Christ and the demands upon his followers just don't mesh with the values of a place like Alexandria. Now, the Alexandrians were all spiritual people. There, there were no atheists in the ancient world. Atheism is a modern idea. There were no atheists. But you can be a spiritual person, but really, it's nothing more than a kind of superstitious insurance policy. Really, I'm living materialistically. It's about the stuff I can collect and the comfort I can enjoy, and then I'll chuck a few quid into the offering plate, and then the gods will see me right. And that was the attitude for many in Alexandria, I'm sure, and it's the attitude for many, to be honest, in the UK today, because materialism seems to offer a surer route to a happy life. Collect as much as you can and enjoy as much physical comfort as you can. And then 
have a little bit of a superstitious insurance policy. Make a sacrifice to the gods. Give some money to children in need. You're all square. Now, Jesus gets right in the grill of that kind of thinking. And the story that Clement wrestled with was the story of the rich young man. This is a story that's told in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke three times. Stories get told in the Bible three times. They're important. We're going to read it from Matthew's account, Matthew 19. A man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions. In Luke's account, it says, sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Now, what is somebody in Alexandria meant to do with a statement from Jesus like this? It makes no sense because Alexandria is all about accumulating great wealth. And if Jesus is saying to be a follower of his, you have to sell everything you've got and give it to the poor, that just doesn't make any sense. And so what Clement does is offer a bit of a workaround. So he kind of says, hmm, don't think we should take Jesus' teaching too literally here. What we need to see is that you can keep hold of your stuff as long as you're not materialistic about it. See, Christianity really works, even here in Alexandria. It kind of sounds sensible, and I think probably that's the kind of interpretation that many of us would put on it as well. The trouble is that this isn't a metaphor that Jesus uses. It's a literal command. Go and sell all your stuff and give it to the poor, and then you can come and follow me. Hmm, what do we do with that? It's a pretty uncomfortable story. I find it uncomfortable every time I read it. And uh, I read it quite often because it appears three times in the Bible. So it often makes me feel uncomfortable. I think the way that Clement interprets it, he's probably onto something because we know that Jesus didn't always tell rich people to sell everything they have and give it away. Um, there's at least a hint of that in what we know about Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea who took Christ's body when he was crucified and buried it. And we're told in that account that Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man and a disciple of Jesus. So it doesn't appear that Jesus told Joseph, you need to sell all your stuff. But whenever I read the story about the rich young man, it always makes me think, mm, does the Lord want me to sell all my stuff on eBay and give the proceeds away to the poor? I think an example of this uh, is shoes. Now, shoes just seem to accumulate. There's six of us in my house. The three of the girls are away from home now. But nonetheless, some of their shoes are still left behind. And this is a picture of one of our shoe shelves, which is in desperate need of tidying up. <laughs> but never mind. Uh, but shoes just accumulate. There are so many shoes in our house. There are beach shoes and flip-flops and running shoes and school shoes and party shoes and work shoes and doing the garden shoes and walking the dog shoes and 
just mountains of shoes which have accumulated over the years. And I'm not even sure how many of those shoes even fit anyone anymore. But the shoes just keep mounting up. And it's a good example of the reality of materialism. The reality is that even in the midst of a pandemic, we enjoy peace and security in the UK, which is pretty unprecedented in the history of the human race. And it's the security we enjoy which provides the conditions for us to accumulate ever more stuff. And, you know, I'm pretty grateful for that. I think that's God's grace. I'm, I'm not resistant to that at all. Refugees do not accumulate stuff. Refugees walk around with just what they can hold. And I would much rather live in the security of the UK than be a Syrian refugee with just a bag on my back. I'm grateful for the conditions which allow that to happen. But the stuff just keeps piling up, and I want to stay alert because I know that all that material does have a tendency to make me materialistic. And then Jesus brings us into even sharper focus. He says in Matthew 6, do not store up yourselves treasures on earth, but store up yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. It's impossible to serve both God and money. You can't be a materialist and then think you can pay off God with some superstitious insurance policy, chucking a few quid into children in need. It just doesn't work that way. There's a choice to be made, God or materialism. And if anything, our world is more materialistic than Alexandria was in Clement's day. We live in a consumer society. We're taught that possessing stuff is actually a moral good. I've been taught every day of my life, you deserve this. Your desires are good. You're worth it. And we become very good at justifying ourselves, and we can be pretty blind to the reality of materialism, its power in our own lives. We very good at projecting it onto other people. I'm not materialistic, certainly not compared with them. Have you seen how much nicer their car is than mine? Do you know how much more he earns than I do? Have you seen the holidays that they go on compared with me? I give more money away than they do. I'm not materialistic. And we can easily kind of self-justify ourselves. And we need to see the power of materialism, the power of mammon. In older translations of the Bible, in Matthew 6, where Jesus says you cannot serve God and money, that word money is translated as mammon. And mammon is not just pounds and pence. Mammon is a power. It's a living thing. And that's why in the NIV, which we use here, money in that passage is, tra- is, tra- is written with a capital M. It's not just pounds and pence. It's a power, the power of mammon. And when we pray... We say, Amen. Amen means, yes, I'm trusting in this. I believe it. Now, do you notice how similar the words Amen and Mammon sounds? That's because they actually come from the same root. Amen, Mammon, Amen, Mammon. It's the same kind of word. And Mammon is to put your trust in the stuff. Say, Amen, and I'm saying, I trust God. I say, mammon, I'm trusting in the stuff. And I think the reality is that it's probably best to assume that we are all materialistic just because 
that's how our society is. Yeah, you might not be as materialistic as they are, but materialism is an issue for us. We're, we're prone to this. We, we see how everybody is. Jesus confronted the Pharisees about their materialism. Matthew 23, Jesus says to them, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced justice, mercy, and faithfulness without neglecting tithing your mint, dill, and cumin. The Pharisees looked zealously righteous for God. They were so zealously righteous for God, they were counting out their dill seeds to make sure they gave the right number away. But Jesus exposes them as hypocrites because really something other than God was reigning on the throne of their hearts. Then the Apostle Paul makes an explicit link between materialism and idolatry, between mammon and worshipping the wrong thing. He says in Ephesians 5, Of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. There's a simple spiritual equation here. Greed, covetousness, materialism equals idolatry. And this is a difficult thing for us to hear. I don't think, probably none of us would think of ourselves as greedy, certainly not as idolaters. But our consumer society teaches us to trust in mammon, and that's a killer. To trust in mammon, to be materialist, is to risk losing our inheritance in the kingdom of God. It means that we're stuffing the sacks of our lives as full as we can with earthly coal when Jesus is saying you can have heavenly diamonds. And so we need to think about antidotes to materialism. How can we fight materialism? I think the first way is through generous giving. You know, money talks, and I often find that money talks loudest when I'm stepping out in faith and seeking to be generous in my giving. You can kind of hear money screaming at you at that moment. Don't do it! Don't give me away! And one of the most liberating things you can experience is the fading scream of money as the check hits the offering plate or as you push confirm on the online transaction. And you can hear the money going... And it's incredibly liberating to do that, to hear money scream and die in that way, or materialism to scream and die in that way. And so generous giving is a way of fighting materialism. Uh, as part of that, I've always practiced tithing, and we teach tithing here, tithing, giving away 10% of our income, and yes, on the gross. And that's something I've always done, pretty much my whole life. And it's good because it becomes a habit. It's just what I do. Money comes in, and I give a tithe away. It's a regular way to drive a stake into the heart of materialism. And it's brilliant because it's proportional. My income goes up, I give away more. Income decreases, I adjust my giving accordingly. It's also a giving guideline rather than a rigid rule. It's something that was taught in the Old Testament, but it's not rescinded in the New. We see that in what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23. You should have done that. You should have practiced justice and faithfulness and not given up on your tithing. But uh, tithing is something, I'm under grace, not, not under law, so it's not a rule imposed upon me. And, and you know, it's possible, it is possible to tithe like a Pharisee. You can give away 
10%, and you can count it ever so carefully. I'm calculating to the penny what my tithe should be, and I'm giving that away in order that God will think I'm righteous. You can tithe like a Pharisee, and it does you and no one else any good. Or you can give generously because we love Jesus, and we want him alone to reign in our lives. Now, we always say this when we talk about tithing. Tithing sounds shockingly daunting if you don't do it because it is such a huge amount of money. 10% on the gross. Are you serious? And so we always just say to people, if, you, if you're not used to giving in that way, take steps. Take steps. Move towards it. Grow some generosity muscles. You'll be amazed at what God equips you to do. Also, Tithing doesn't set a limit on my giving. I'd always want to give away more. Uh, if you're a church member, you'd have got a letter this week about our church finances, which are just, as I say, thank God, absolutely amazing. And one of these forms, um, we're looking, as you know, to redevelop our facilities here at Alder Road. We think we're at a place where we can actually do that fairly soon if we've got the cash. And so we're asking those who call Gateway Home to think about how you might, might be able to give to our vision fund so we can build up that pot quickly and, and get going. That's over and above giving. We're not asking you to take money out of your general giving and put it into the vision fund. No, this is, let's give more. And by the grace of God, we can. And when we give cheerfully, we find real joy. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Now, materialism fights against us giving like that fights against us giving faithfully and consistently and in a joy-filled way because materialism knows this is a fight to the death. Who is going to reign in our lives? And it's tragic that so many Christians actually fail to develop spiritual muscles in this area, just never really grow in faith in this in the way that God wants us to. And I, and I think a ma major reason that people don't get to grips with this spiritual discipline as they should is because we tend to say, I'll get to it when. I'll get to it when. I'll get to it when I stop being a student. I'll get to it when I've paid off the student loans. I'll get to it when, when I've got married. I'll get to it when the kids are older. I'll get to it when the kids have left home. I'll get to it when the grandkids have grown up. I'll get to it when the, the mortgage is paid off. And you know, when never comes. Materialism is a real and present danger. We need to fight it now, not when. And a major tool in our armory for fighting materialism is generous giving. The second antidote to materialism is to take a regular check on our internal monologue, the conversations that go on inside our brains. What conversations do we have with ourselves about stuff? Is the soundtrack in our minds, I want this, I want this, I want this, or I need that, or I need that, or is it I'm anxious, I'm stressed about the cash, I'm worrying about the finances, or... Is it comparison? They've got more than me. That's not fair. What are the conversations which go on in our heads? If we find that we're having those kind of internal monologues, kind of covetous desire for stuff, or wanting things we don't really need in an unhealthy way, or constant stress and anxiety about money, or constant comparison with other people about what they have, we need to learn to silence those voices, to turn them down, and to change the conversation in our heads so that we 
very deliberately starts instead to trust and worship Jesus. We have to speak to ourselves. Uh, um, this applies in so many areas. I'm finding this in terms of uh, how we honor those in leadership at the moment. With all that's going on with the pandemic, it's very easy to watch the news and start shouting at the TV and those people on it. And so I'm consciously, every time I want to say, ah, at whoever's speaking, I'm turning my thoughts deliberately to pray for them, as Scripture tells me to do. And it's the same with money. You have those conversations in your head which are negative and harmful. You have to deliberately have a different conversation. I'm going to trust Jesus. Jesus taught us to pray, give us his daily bread. He can do that. He can supply my daily bread. He's always supplied my daily bread. I've never lacked. He's always supplied for me. Why on earth would he stop now? I'm going to trust you, Jesus. I'm not going to allow materialism to dominate my life. Who cares if they've got more than I have? I've got more than enough as it is. Change the conversation. Take a check on your internal monologue. And then the third antidote to materialism is to learn to say no. The reality, confession time, is that there are times when I am seized by material desires. When there's something I really want. And usually the way I know that this is becoming a problem, or I become aware over the course of time, so I'm a bit stupid, don't spot it quick enough, is how much time I'm spending on the internet researching something. Something I really want. And f- can find that hours have slipped by thinking, oh, I'd really like that model, but that would be a bit... Mm, and that one, I don't want that one. But I could probably justify that one somewhere in the middle and comparing all the different sites, who's got the best price, who's got the best deals. And, mm, and there's nothing wrong with buying stuff, and often we need stuff, and great. If you collect dinky toys... Go for it. But what I find again and again is that shut my computer down and stop looking, say no to the desire. It's amazing how often the desire just goes away. That something I've really wanted, really thought I need this, say no to it, and then within a few days or a couple of weeks, I realize, hey, I, I don't need that thing. You know, I don't even, I'm not even bothered about it. What a waste of money it would have been to have bought it. And what a waste of time it was sitting on my computer looking at all those comparison price sites. We need to learn to say no to our whims. One of the, the challenges for us in our 24-7 electronic age is that so we just be on our phones and it's all there. And you can any time of day or night, you can say yes to something, click and buy. And we need to learn to deny our whims as we say no to our whims, it's actually a way of denying materialism. And then ultimately, this is all about worship. Ultimately, the antidote to materialism is worship, because materialism is about worship. Amen. Mammon. Which are you going to choose? Trusting God or trusting the stuff? We need to worship the living God who is able to truly satisfy us. This is what Jesus said. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from within them. What materialism does is promise us the world, but only leaves us thirsty for more. Jesus is the one who gives us water that never runs dry. Somebody said that God isn't about raising cash, he's about raising sons. God isn't about raising cash, he's about raising sons. God doesn't need our money. Even with how we give to the church, we need to be careful that we don't fall into that kind of mind trap. I have to give because God needs my money. No, he doesn't. God doesn't need anything. 
It's all his anyway. All the money belongs to him. No matter, no matter who's holding it at the moment, whether it's Bill Gates, the World's Bank, the Mafia, or your next-door neighbor, it's all God's. He doesn't need our money. He's not in the, it's not about raising cash. He is about raising sons. And as we topple materialism from its throne, we enter more fully into our sonship. That's what we give in the end. It's all about worship. It's about saying, yes, Jesus, it's in you I trust. Amen. It's in you I trust. Amen. It's you I love. Amen. As we were saying earlier, you are my reward. Yes, not this stuff. You, Jesus, are my treasure. I'm not going to fill my sack full of earthly coal. I'm going to trust you for heavenly diamonds. Yes, we give. Should we pray about that? Jesus, I thank you that you are the one who is able to satisfy our needs. Thank you that you're the one who's able to provide for our daily needs. You taught us to pray, give us our daily bread. And Lord, I thank you for how you provided for us. I thank you for how you provided for us as a church in this season, just remarkably. And I pray that we'll continue to know that. Pray that you'd provide for us as we look to raise vast sums of money to rebuild our site here. Thank you that we can do that trusting you, that it all belongs to you. And I pray, Jesus, that we wouldn't be slaves to materialism, but we would be worshippers, sons and daughters of the living God. Help us to get this one right. Help us not to be slaves to the expectations and culture of our day. Help us to see that Christianity makes sense, not just in Alexandria in the second century, but here in BCP in the 21st that following Jesus is the way to find life, the way to satisfaction, the way to what is best. I pray you to keep us generous in response to your generosity, King Jesus. We bless you, we trust you. We say amen to you, King Jesus. Amen to you, Lord. Amen.